Welcome to Speech Tea, created by Lauren Hastings and Lauren Prather, also known as The Laurens. This podcast is where we discuss research and clinical practice by sparking conversation within the Black community through social media tea. So, grab your mug and take a sip of Speech Tea. This podcast is sponsored by Keith R. Prather, your Legal Shield Senior Associate. Legal Shield protects and empowers you, your family, and your business by making smart, full-service legal coverage and identity theft protection simple and easy for all. At Legal Shield, we've made legal representation accessible and affordable. Legal Shield provides you with a network of dedicated law firms in 50 states and four Canadian provinces. Our law firms provide legal protection to millions of members, even in emergency situations, 24-7, 365 days a year. For more information on how to get individual, family, or business coverage online, visit praetherkr.wearelegalshield.com or contact Mr. Prather at praetherkr at legalshieldassociate.com. This episode was previously recorded. Enjoy. Hey, girl. Hey. My name is Lauren Hastings, but I call her LP. And I'm Lauren Prather, and I call her Lola. And welcome to another episode of Speech. Speech. <laughs> I don't know if it ever gets better or not. Like some days I'll be like, oh, when I thought it was together again, it's like chicka chicka, like better, <laughs> <know>, better. <laughs> when we have gaps in our recordings, it, it just it gets a little, it's a little funky sometimes. But no, yeah, yeah, we're still we're still good, we're still good. Um, yeah. can I share the good news? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. We now have had five thousand downloads. Woo! Awesome. So excited. So excited. Yeah. That's what two and a half years? Yeah. 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 That's so, pretty good. We're so excited about yes. This. Thank you guys for sticking with us and yeah. understanding our busy, busy schedules. Yeah, exactly. Well, as we talk about busy schedules, um, I'm drinking coffee with what is it, hazelnut? Some, the hazelnut and then I put some creamer in there what you have creamer (laughs) you know she doesn't do creamer but before I tell y'all what my tea is we got some tea tea because we brought a special guest with us today LP yes producer (laughs) stage hand um what else uh edit uh critique editor everything Wow. Yeah, all of that. <laughs> all of those great things. Executive producer, camera operator. Yeah, yeah. Okay, what else? What else? Give light me lighting. Light, light, production was, team, all of yeah, that. He was, he was all of that to me. If you ever Band hear me. Holder. 
fan holder, all of those great things. All but more importantly, things. he is a special part of my life, an extension of me. And I'm really proud of all that he does because he is, when y'all talk about the epitome of busy, um, I think I couldn't be with a better person to understand what life is like um, because he is equally as busy. Um, if we're not supporting each other, we're Netflix and chilling in some kind of capacity. But my boo, my boyfriend, my man, as people would say, Mr. Future Doctor too, Greg Moore. You get a doctor. You get a doctor. You can do it. You can. No, for real, you can. Yeah. Surrounding ourselves with all these future doctors here, whether they're a few months away or years away, I think it's just pretty important to know that you can do these things. You can elevate to yourself um, regardless. So welcome to our show. You've never been on this side of the camera. Right. (laughs) I can't believe it. I cannot believe this. What an honor. We've been talking about this forever. Yes, very much so. That's how busy he is, y'all. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. It's like, okay, okay. Y'all are giving me a lot right now. Y'all are giving me so much. Supposed to be in last season. He was. Maybe, maybe this this moment was destined versus the end. You know, there's so much to share. I hope. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So tell us what type of doctoral program you in? What you doing? Yeah, so um, I'm actually. At my alma mater, so Northern Kentucky University, I'm also a staff member here, but I am working on um, educational leadership uh, doctorate. So I started the cohort in the fall of 22, and I actually really love how they have um, this program set up. It's, it's almost with the professional or adults or non-traditional student in mind. Like literally, we meet five times a semester, depending and um, obviously there's work in between, but I just like mm-hmm. that the makeup of the program um, sets us up for success. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's very jealous. fitting for you, the education. It is. It is. Writing your <laughs> It's so crazy because I, I never would have imagined ever that I would be mm-hmm. working on a doctorate. So, and it's mm-hmm. so funny listening to uh, I saw my brother the last couple of days um, with some family, and he was talking about me. He's like, "Yep, that's gonna be the doctor in the family." He he keeps us going. I was like, "Wow!" So that was that was a good feeling. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's awesome. Well, you're our special guest, and so our special guests are always outdoing us, and I and I love it. So, Mister Moore, mm-hmm. what do you have in your teacup today? In my teacup. So <laughs> this is funny. So I'm not going to lie. I'm at work, so I can't have what I really want. So today it's Sprite. It's okay. Sprite. Otherwise, it's normally water that I drink. But today I have in my NKU Alumni Association cup. Okay. I have. Okay. That's cool. You know, we've had a plethora of different types of teacups um mm-hmm. also types of things in their teacups so mm-hmm. we just <laughs> wanted to see right. yeah we did we've had water we've had spirits <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've had it yes spirits. are these good yeah. spirits like 
good and spirits. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Adults juice. Yeah. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Adult beverage. See, I, well, I would have definitely had some of that, but not today. Because <laughs> yeah. some of our recordings are at night, and a few of them have mm-hmm. been like on a Friday night, so you know we get oh, a little bit of everything. A, that sounds like yeah. a whole vibe right there on the Friday. <laughs> <laughs> In your mug. In your mug. <laughs> well, LP, what's in your mug? Well, um, so it's not tea. It is Celsius drink. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that? Are you what's wrong? <laughs> There's nothing wrong. I just have a few things to do today um okay. that I just want to accomplish. I don't okay. know. Like I feel like I have like I get up in the morning and I do all of this work and then like I work from like it's depending on the days, like maybe eight to like one or two. And then mm-hmm. when it comes between two and four, like my body's like sit down. Right. <laughs> like so, and then I need to like a pick me up for like the post and then I can work for the rest of the night. Yeah. So I don't know. It's like at the same time every day, like even when we was at conferences. Um mm-hmm. well. four o'clock time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like a that two to four, it's like yeah. slow. Now, do you listen to your body? Um, yes, I do. <laughs> I mean, I so, think that's important. A lot of us, I think we have learned this culture of team no sleep or keep going, keep going. But sometimes yeah. it is important to just chill out. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the beauty about working from home. Like you you can have that ability to do that. I think yeah. when I go in the office, though, I have to like get up, walk around pretend mm-hmm. like I need something from Starbucks and then like you know get like a little pick me up sometimes it's like a refresher or yeah something to keep me going um but yeah I yeah. try to at least yeah. it just depends on like what setting I'm in okay yeah yeah well before we keep going I just want to give flowers where flowers are due for one I want to say that I'm truly proud of you because in the midst of Lolo's doctoral journey as a newcomer just like you Mr. Moore she also planned another convention in Georgia um, and it was so successful in terms of blackness was all sprinkled throughout this conference that they weren't used to that and not even in terms of like attendees but the type of sessions and things and it was really impactful and powerful and it was a great success and she did the dang thing Mm. so really proud of you you. yeah it was it was good but disappointing to hear that this was the first time that they've seen this much diversity not only in attendees but with sessions but I'm glad I was able to so do that because it is 2023 and we got to start talking about and having these conversations Wow, make people uncomfortable. So yeah, Absolutely. I hope they continue now that this has happened. I hope. Yeah, that is the hope. But also that too, I want to say today is a special day because Lo was born today. <laughs> Today's her birthday. She's recording her actual birthday, y'all. Like yeah. that is dedication to her podcast. It's amazing, even though she she's lucky it's on a Thursday. So 
<laughs> because if it was on a Friday, we wouldn't be recording. <laughs> but it's a beautiful thing that she took time out of her day to yeah. um, do a recording with us, especially with our busy guests. Yeah. Um, so I think we should sing Happy Birthday. Now, I know Zoom singing is like off a little bit because we can't sing together and it just doesn't work like it did on the COVID quarantined yeah. videos so of let's choir. pick one person because when it's two people it just sounds okay so i am not a singer so i will designate <laughs> the future dr moore to be the our r&b artist for today the R&B artist. i don't know about all that but uh maybe i can do a little something okay okay just gonna mute these uh no, <laughs> <laughs> okay. <Not> ready. okay <laughs> All right, <clears throat> now, you hear some crack and lax, we just gotta keep moving. All That's right. how you do it. <laughs> happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Lolo. Happy birthday to you. You need to find some music going under you. You can do it all by yourself. I love it. I love it. I love it. That's yeah. gonna be a good episode. I feel it. I feel it. I know it's gonna be really good. Really good dialogue and conversation. <laughs> so, do you want to do um, black your black history uh, moment? I would love to. And I think this is perfect because it's also a social media topic. I think um, in honor of Women's History Month, y'all, we switched mm-hmm. over. And the irony is you, you would think I would be just excited about this month as I was last month. But I mean, it's fairly equal, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think this one hits a, um, just as much as close to home, the more I progress in my our careers, you know, just kind of standing out and being identified as probably maybe the only Black woman in mm-hmm. a group. But um, so there's been a lot going on on social media, a lot of interesting things, um, more on the negative side, like terms of like people going to jail and getting caught out and um, yeah. all this different stuff. But I did see something that was very exciting and it contradicts um, something we talked about with Governor DeSantis um, mm-hmm. in Florida that um, Pentangi Brown has got a street named after her in Florida. Um, so I thought in that Florida. was really nice, right? <laughs> right, the irony, right? And right. I was like, oh, wow, this is so cool. So I wanted to celebrate her in yeah. honor of Women's History Month. Yesterday was International Women's um women's day and so i mm-hmm. thought that was some amazing news and yeah. good to see yeah. some progression despite the i guess the battle that they're facing with diversity yeah. equity and inclusion practices um across the edu- public education spectrum so yeah. that is our social media i didn't want to bring us down today i was like oh we got to find something good and then you know yeah. sunday's the oscar so we'll see how that goes i'm sure we'll talk yeah. about that um yeah if anything interesting happens. Um, but yeah, so that is our social media tea of the day. Hmm. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm going to just lead us right into our topic for today. So the reason why we have Mr. Moore on here is because, um, well, <laughs> let me back up because we did talk about it in our last episode. Um, 
of a university doing our um, doctoral fair that we had, um, Mr. Moore. Uh, I, I'll tell you who it was later. But I was um, <laughs> introducing each school. We had it for in Basla um, because okay. we were trying to, you know, increase more uh, black uh, doctoral or PhDs in our field. And so I was introducing each school and they were having their moment to um, to talk about their programs. And this woman got up and she was like, yeah, so I'm first generation college student and I came from humble beginnings and I was raised on a farm. And I I we had food stamps at one point and we were like, is she did she just did she just say that? In front? Like, is she trying to re- is she trying to relate? Anyway, um. <laughs> Don't assume that all black people are first generation college students. So thank goodness. Correct. None of the attendees, like, you know, went a little crazy in the chat. They just kind (laughs) of overlooked it. Overlooked it. Um, But um, I do think it is important in um, our demographic and our race and our ethnicity to talk about first generation college students because. Yeah. I feel like it's becoming more prominent, especially um, here in Alabama. I found mm-hmm. out 90 percent of families here are single family homes. Okay. And so mm-hmm. um, I was like, oh, that's kind of hot. So now we're hitting these kids who they are um, their first generation and they are coming um, wet behind the ears, <laughs> you know, and just trying to navigate that um that yeah. space of college because it's it's one thing to go from elementary middle school and then middle school to high school but high school to college is is probably the biggest leap mm-hmm. you're going to make because right. there's so many different mm-hmm. moving parts so right. um you do want to talk about that today um and get yeah. your take on it and your lived experience and all of that okay yeah um, you want me to just dive right on in or just just, just dive, oh, dive on okay. in? I mean, we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're gonna bounce off you. We're gonna yeah. Oh, well, I mean, <laughs> I just wanted to make sure because I heard you say a few things. You had there's that that group of people who may not be of color or from um black backgrounds essentially mm-hmm. who are first generation. I don't want to invalidate invalidate their experiences. Mm-hmm. I think for me it does become it does come across as problematic when we use the term first generation, like you said, to relate to a struggle. And it doesn't necessarily mean that's what that is. I mean, there may be a lot of households that have had a lot of, uh, I would say, challenges or even barriers or et cetera, et cetera. Um, But it is a pet peeve of mine to for, especially if I have, and I'll be honest, I've had white colleagues say, oh, I get it. I get it. I'm first generation, you know. No, I don't. I don't know. <laughs> because if we were to stand in the mall or stand in the store, they would look at me and look at you and still look at us differently. Right. So yeah. mm-hmm. I think I think for me, um, essentially, it is an important demographic to make sure we provide support for. But it's mm-hmm. also one not to try to um, capitalize on their experiences, if that makes sense. Don't oh, don't absolutely. use it. Don't use it. Um conveniently don't use it as mm-hmm. if it's something that oh you know i've been oppressed no that that no <laughs> that's, that's exactly what happened too <laughs> I, know, I, because I, see, I hear it all the time honestly in my field yeah. and and it is it is unfortunate that there are those who 
instead of just being forthcoming and truthful, they try to find a way to relate and it's not always necessary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think yeah. at the end of the day is lack of knowledge and guidance. Mm-hmm. It kind of goes back to um, LPR episode about the book I had to read for class um, mm-hmm. Unequal Childhoods mm-hmm. and how depending on, you know, your parents or whoever raised you, mm-hmm. their education level, um, they know how to navigate those avenues. But, yes. you know, if you if your parents didn't finish high school or they only finish high school, mm-hmm. they can't guide you to the next step. Correct. Right. Correct. Um, and so you have to lead that way by yourself blindly. Mm-hmm. Um and um, in that book, I remember it was a story about one particular girl who ended up dropping out of community college because, mm. well, she didn't even drop out. She just stopped going and mm. not knowing that she could have just withdrew classes to make sure her record was straight. You know yes. what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's small stuff like absolutely, that. Absolutely. That mm-hmm. First generation students don't know, mm-hmm. have no clue about. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, I do want to. I do want to piggyback and say and doing some more research, like looking at it from a general perspective and then trying to find relationship with that in our field, because one of the big things is we don't have many minorities in our field. We are part of a small group like the what the eight percent and then that's broken down. That's not saying it's black people. That's just talking about the minority. And so navigating a space from the level of. um high school to college, but even college to graduate school, um, that's a whole, you know, whole different like ladder to climb yes. and what it looks like to navigate that. But in this article, generally speaking, um, kind of piggybacking off what you were saying, uh, Lolo, is that um, they were saying, although we um, appear to know much about first generation college students with respect to academic preparation, transition to post-secondary education and progress toward de- degree attainment, Surprisingly, little is known about their college experiences or their cognitive and psychosocial development during college. So, like, what does that look like? And then I know, Mr. Moore, you've done a little research um, in this area, but it's good to dive a little deeper to have an expectation, um, especially as people who are future academics, right? Like we're training these students that are sitting in our classrooms, regardless of it. Uh, what kind of level we have, but how do we really reach a population of this who are just as valuable? Um, and are smart and can carry the torch and do those things, but may not have, um, I guess, maybe the mentorship at home to like push them to the next level um, to become just as successful as who they see in front of them. Correct. Um, Well, specific to my actual um, research. So just to give you all a little insight about why I even looked at first-generation students. Um, And in my case, it was more about first-generation students and success. I kind of battled on this thing um, because throughout all of my professional experiences or even my lived experiences, um, I've had a lot of firsts. Like I've always gone to, like, for example, my undergraduate high, I'm sorry, my high school, we had no football team. So it was always the first. I was trying to develop something that was the first in college Mm -hmm. first. So a lot of things I didn't, I never understood. And I always questioned like, why am I always in these situations where I'm not ever part of something that's already been established and I'm always playing a role. And then it, it kind of dawned on me. It aligned with a lot of my actual professional experiences where I've worked in charter schools with um, first generation children or students. Mm-hmm. Um, I've worked at institutions where 
a lot of a lot of or even the majority and even where I work now um, as I'm the director of African-American student initiatives at Northern Kentucky University. Even when I first started here, um, a, a huge portion of my experience has been in residence life. But um, even this institution, more than half of the student enrollment is first generation. So it's important mm-hmm. that we find ways to not only develop programming or even look at best practices, so to speak, um, mm-hmm. but find ways to really tap in and touch those students so that they can have a place of ownership or a sense of belonging or a community. And those are th- some things that I find myself oftentimes, especially for students of color or black students, um, finding myself um, advocating for a lot because some of them truly don't think that they have a chance or don't have a voice. And sometimes mm-hmm. they're told no, or you can't, or we don't have this for you. And then they just sometimes shut down. And instead of sometimes, I'm saying this intentionally, but instead of taking time to actually understand the whole student, we 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 respond to how they respond. If they're upset about something or if they didn't do something that looked, seemed professional, instead of invalidating them in that moment or even supporting them, they often get um, dismissed, invalidated, or overlooked. And I think um, we have to start addressing that. But first generation and success specifically, um, and is it okay for me to just share my screen real fast? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because I had a quick question about that. Because when you talk about, because we hear this whole term, first generation mm-hmm. and how they struggle in school, like what are the struggles or what are the things that they have difficulty with? It's uh, and it's so funny. I, I appreciate the question, but I will also say there is not any specific set that everyone experiences. I've learned that mm-hmm. um, even I come from a very small rural town in southwestern Kentucky, even though I was born in Indianapolis. But working primarily in the greater Cincinnati, northern Kentucky areas, um, I've worked with a lot of kids from various backgrounds that I would have never had experiences in my own life. So there, you know, mm-hmm. not to not to start off with nothing, nothing negative. Um, I've had a student. I recall a student literally coming to school after seeing a dead body, you know, and and her trying mm-hmm. to navigate that instead of her thinking, I need to go home or I can't I yeah. can't even handle the rest of my day. I got to get to school or I'm going to get in trouble. My mom's going to be truant, like all these worries and concerns. But that whole overall holistic well-being wasn't even a thought for the student. And she was, I think at the time in middle school, might have been sixth or seventh grade, but she was just quiet and reserved the whole day. And I just sat down with her. And that's when I learned that she literally got off the bus to see that. And and, and thinking about students having to be so... um, They've become desensitized to certain things now. Of course, that's traumatic, but we have to start normalizing check-ins and actually providing resources and um, support where it's necessary. But um, to answer your question, some other things might include um, single-parent homes. Um, even And there are some first-generation students or kids who have both parents in the home that just did not go to college right. or experience four-year institutions. And that's okay, too. But yeah. some, but specific to the single parent home, which was my experience, um, oftentimes they or we, um, we're we're met with responsibility at an early age. You know, adult responsibilities, taking mm-hmm. care of our or looking out for our younger siblings, or um, having to work, making sure when we're working, we're supporting. I remember yeah. a time I was supporting my mom when I was sixteen, not realizing that that was 
not a normal thing, but it's just what we did to survive, if that makes sense. So mm-hmm. there's just a lot of things that go into um, uh, responsibility. There's, and I can't remember the specific term. I think it's, um, it might be success guilt, but thinking about mm-hmm. those, those students who are in college that are first generation who have to help their parents, or I'm working so I can send money back home and things like that. Or I feel bad because I have this experience, but my brothers or my mom and them didn't have a chance to experience this. So just those kinds of things may play a role um, in their lives or even their, their friends' experiences. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's exactly if you have time, which clearly you don't have time right now, but the book I had for class called Equal Unequal Childhoods, it was mm-hmm. a researcher that looked at different families of different classes. Wow. And she, it, the latest edition, she followed up 10 years later. So I think when she first met them, they were like in middle school or something like that. And okay. then um, she followed up 10 years later and just to see how, they had trouble navigating community college and college. And when it comes to minorities, mm-hmm. she said that it's like this thing of, well, you're grown now, you know, it's, in our mm-hmm. culture, it's like you're 18, you're grown now, figured out, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Versus she was um, documenting and notating that the families who were of a higher class or higher income, they helped their kids navigate things like, no, you gonna let my kid in that APA class because they gotta get into this school. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. that that is what she explored um yeah. in that book. But I mean, we lived it. I at same as you, I worked um started working at 16. And at first it was our money, but then sometimes my mom and my aunts came to us like, hey, can we have some money for this utility bill? Like yes. Yes. so you and then my mom passed when I was 17. So when it was time to go to college, it was like, well, you got to take care of your sister. Now, y'all know I got a whole twin sister that's only three minutes apart from me, but we function <laughs> like older, younger sibling. But okay. they were just like, <laughs> I had to step up and like make sure we were both cleared and make sure we both got in and, you know, mm-hmm. kind of lead that because yes. my family was still grieving. Back to the whole trauma thing, my family was still grieving a year later, but now we're trying to go and make this huge transition. It was just, a, it was a lot. It was a lot. Wow. That, yeah. The, and, and it's sometimes it's like unspoken responsibility or mm-hmm. um, assumed responsibility. And, yeah. and I remember being real young and just wanted to learn how to cook or clean and things like that. Now, granted, mm-hmm. a lot of the foods we learned back in the day were not the most healthy for our families or our lives or even, yeah. you know, health risks. But um yeah. I just remember that not realizing I was actually helping more than anything um, in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah exactly. Yeah. What do you want to share? I'm sorry. I kind of okay. So, um, so from in my master's <laughs> program, and it's ironic because I did not get a master's until, so I graduated undergrad organizational leadership um, degree in 2009, but I did not have anyone that was really telling me or encouraging me, go get your master's, go get your master's, you know, we, we go to college, and before we go, we get have this idea, you go to college, get you a good job. And that's what my family knew and understood. So I kind of went with that. And then I hit a moment in my um, my senior year of college where I was like, a lot of you know anxiety was hitting me. Like, what am I going to do next? Or when I didn't get jobs that I might have expected, it didn't happen the way that I wanted to. I even went through a moment where I, I had lost my car. It was repossessed. I didn't have a job for a few months. And thankfully, I was blessed with 
a few odd jobs here and there. But I said all that to say um, there's a whole community of people who I think, including me, um, who needs more attention, if that makes sense. Don't let's not assume just because they're here or in college that they got it all together or they have that level of support. And, and like you mentioned earlier, I remember preparing for college and my mom not knowing anything that I needed. All she knew is it was time for me to go. <laughs> and, and then, you know what I'm saying? So it was one of yeah. those things where doing my FAFSA or um, visiting colleges or doing, thankfully I was part of like TRIO programs, Educational Talent Search, those programs that provide um, resources and support for first-generation students that allowed me to visit colleges. And that's kind of how my path got started in addition to some of those mentors at um, after school programs who sat with us to do FAFSA and and tutor us and things like that. So it definitely took the uh, it takes a village approach for my success. And I have to attribute that to that. Yeah. But Um, just imagine if someone didn't have that. Like when you said that, I'm like, yeah, there's some parents that because they didn't go further, they don't know where to start. Like, so they don't they don't know what to tell you or what you need in the dorm and you got to apply for housing. Yeah. There's so many steps that, yeah. Wow. So so then there I was, um, I was working at the university of Cincinnati and that's when I ended up deciding to apply for the graduate program. But unfortunately, and it's so crazy now that I think about it, the reason I even applied was because they, they were restructuring, um, positions and I worked in residence life at the time and there were there were positions that were literally written that would have written me out because I didn't have a master's and it was I felt like it was intentional which I later learned some was um but Mm. I was like you know what I had to I'm going to make this decision for me and unfortunately I felt backed up and um backed up against the wall when I made the decision but I really didn't have anybody there to kind of talk me through that so when I finally got in Thankfully, there was a doctoral student at the time who became a mentor to me and, you know, mm-hmm. and meeting Lauren and some other folks. So that that was very important for me to have community there. And it's again, it speaks to that. Right. So I decided in my graduate program to focus on first generation students and success. So let me share this real fast. I do not want to give this as a presentation. It's going to be conversation. So, <laughs> um, and for those who for those who are listening in, I promise I'm going to make it sound like you're watching it with us. <laughs> so, with that being said, um, so I, I spoke about first generation students and success. So exploring the resources mm-hmm. that impact the way first generation college students perceive success. So just trying to understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that time, I was actually working in um, an area that included different themed houses. So one of the houses was called the Gen 1 themed house, which to me, that was a convenient sample. And I utilized that. So um, I kind of gave an introduction about who I was. Mm-hmm. I shared my research question. Again, how the resor- how did the resources first generation college students had access to impact their perception of attaining success? Um, and we started out with the actual definition, as we talked about, um, first generation mm-hmm. college students defined as a student whose parent parent or parents or legal guardians have not completed a bachelor's degree. It means that they are the first in the family to attend a four year college, attain a bachelor's degree, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got that from Chaplin University. And again, Gen 1 themed house, it was it was housed in what was called Stratford Heights at UC. And it was 
I was actually happy to be over this um, community because I was first gen. So why not connect with those students? So I did. I did put a lot of extra energy into them, even though all students were my students at the time. Um, I had two sessions. Um, one had 13 participants. The second had 12. And they were comprised of uh, males, females, African, African-American. And I believe I had one student that was. Did I have I might have had one white student or Asian. I cannot fully remember, but I was my point. I wanted to get a a, a wide range of students that were in that house, but primarily it was um, black or African, African-American students. So my my actual approach was group level assessment. Now, something I learned that I didn't know years before um, when it comes to research, I truly love the uh, community based participatory action research approach. And if, in case you're not familiar with that or any listeners, um, it's an opportunity to mm-hmm. actually do research with the community, not on. And, mm-hmm. and I've learned that the importance of that is to ensure that, one, you build some rapport um, and they actually feel like you're playing a role in their lives versus you just coming in, learning about things and then later telling them what they need and then leaving. That never, mm-hmm. I believe, is never helpful. So um, it was mm-hmm. just a process to say seven step process where we kind of walk through different um, pieces. So we did climate setting. We kind of I gave an where I gave an overview. I generated um, prompts where they would answer them. Some of them were random and things like that. So, again, this all played a role with them actually becoming more comfortable with sharing. And I love it because it's intentional for that reason. So there's mm-hmm. different prompts. Again, um, there's a moment where the students walk around. They appreciate what others have shared. Uh, they'll reflect on their own individually. And then we start we break them up into small groups where they can try to create an understanding. So through that time together, they kind of look at two or three prompts where they look, find themes. And then you have somebody who writes down those themes. And then once we get together, um, after they c- create their list of themes, um, it's our time as a full group to kind of share out and discuss what they've come up with. So after we get through all of that and we talk about the themes and we we kind of all agree and we meaning them agree mm-hmm. on what they've what they've come up with. We start talking about what are some action steps, whether it's within our control, in our circle of influence or if there's others who can play a role as well. Uh, so the involved participants suggested uh, things about the university, the actual Gen 1 theme house program and other entities for first generation college students. In my particular study, we came up with um, four themes, support, diversity, access and resources. So when it came to mm-hmm. stu- support students um, in terms of sub themes, students talked about the importance of valuing family, friends, professors who cared about them, mentors, uh, social forums, et cetera. Um, when it came to diversity, which you probably have heard of this, um, they wanted their professors to have more diversity training. Um, it was a thing where I'm sitting in class. I don't want to always be called out or asked to represent my community just because I'm black, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, they wanted their professors and staff to understand um, multiple or intersecting identities that they hold, which is extremely important as well when I talk about that holistic development. Um, they wanted mm-hmm. the actual university and professors to take course evaluation seriously. I'm tired of coming mm-hmm. to these classes. Y'all ask me to do this. And then we we make recommendations and nothing yep. changes, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. That's diversity. Yeah. And access, the students wanted times where they can actually have uh, meetings with administrators or university policymakers. They always felt like decisions were made for them, but 
not necessarily considering or inviting them to those tables. So how can we get more mm-hmm. access to these people that's making these changes? And then the last thing, uh, oh, in, in access, also more opportunities for leadership development. They they hear about things or something already comes up and boom, they've missed the opportunity to lead or even be in those positions or uh, spaces yeah. to learn about them. Can I interject real quick? Yeah. I think that's why it's so important for minorities, specifically African-Americans, to. Mm-hmm. I, I know all of us don't want to get a doctorate, but at least consider mm-hmm. being an adjunct professor mm-hmm. at PWIs, because mm-hmm. I know <laughs> this is based mm-hmm. off of PWIs. Mm-hmm. But even HBCUs, you need that support, too, because our HBCUs yeah. have a lot of first gen. So mm-hmm. either either type of university will help. But I just yeah. think that it's, it's so important that, you know, all three of us, since we all are on this doctoral train, um, <laughs> will be in positions where we're either the policymakers or we're mm-hmm. the professor mm-hmm. or the chair. Um, yes. Because yeah. honestly, this um your results do not surprise me <laughs> yeah yeah and, and, and to that point and this um i'm thinking about a lot of my colleagues who are black professors or instructors um and, un- and unless they are tenured um they have their own set of struggles even as black Listen. folks and that's mm-hmm. well, that's another day's uh, episode so <laughs> black, 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 black. Right. i'm just saying like I, I, you know when we start talking about politics and how folks are numbers versus people and all that, that's 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 a thing in itself. Yeah. But um, here, and the last thing was about resources. They talked about the importance of having resources or access to. So in that case, the first gen theme house was something extremely big for them. There was a, a whole um, curriculum that talked through what their year would look like in development before they moved up to the next level. And that I love that about that program. Um, shared knowledge of financial aid opportunities. So many of my students now have had to leave college or because they didn't they weren't aware of, didn't think they mm-hmm. um, had the ability to, nor were they encouraged to yeah. write letters or, or apply for scholarships and understanding that there's things available for them. So they would like to have mm-hmm. that. And then mental health. I mean, I talk about now, even in my work about and this was done back in 2018, uh, completing in 2018. But even here in 2023, thinking about what, how mental health it has become a thing. And if we're not careful, yeah. it can just become a political thing. But we need to actually be mindful that folks are dealing with traumatic things. Right. We're working right. with students now who have never, like, I could, I can't even say how I would have responded or acted during the pandemic. And then Listen. not only that, having to see what was going on with the social unrest on their phones, we didn't have all that back then. So thinking yeah. about multiple layers of oppressions and experiences mm-hmm. that, that might have played an uh, unfortunate role in their mental health mm-hmm. and then yeah. expenses being in the way. So we kind of looked at all those different things that play a, a specific role in how they um, perceive success. So the last thing I want to share with this is the limitations. So the initial purpose was for me to explore various diverse populations, but that wasn't achieved, um, unfortunately. All participants were, oh, I, I was wrong. They were only students of color. I might have seen some that did not participate. Now that I think about it, um, we didn't have other represented student identities, for example, Caucasian, Asian, Latino, 
disabled, mm -hmm. LGBTQ, et cetera. I would have loved to have different perspectives from, from multiple identities. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. I only use the Gen 1 thing house, participants versus others across campus, um, non-residential or students at branch campuses. So I probably had, would have had more insightful information from different uh, identities or different areas, but this mm -hmm. is what I came came up with from um, this space. So. so I have a question. So you they had to sign up to be a part of the first gen house. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's it's an it's a whole thing. It's a program. And honestly, I when I was there, I learned that that specific program is something that a lot of institutions um, model after. So uh, it's it's been something that's been mm -hmm. in place. They have a whole recruitment season. They have. Uh, if I'm and I'm trying to remember, it was like a, a rites of passage ceremony. They had all these different yeah. things, and and where they welcome, they see see they welcome and they support um, mm -hmm. first generation students, and that I, I love that because they felt like they had a place or a home. So, um, but at the end, I, of this, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. At the end oh, of the day, I was just going to say at the end of my um, um, study. Um, or the actual session, students shared recommendations. So because of that, actually, based on what the students shared, I came up with recommendations to share with leadership. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to because I ended up getting another job and leaving. But I think this still applies everywhere. Students yeah. um, mm -hmm. need more support, uh, requiring, expecting their staff and faculty to go through um, diversity trainings and things like that. So considering the student voice, the student lived experience, as well as um, some of the barriers to their success are all important. So that's essentially, mm -hmm. in a nutshell, um, what my yeah. first generation and student success look like. So, I, oh, oh, go ahead. Mm -hmm. go ahead. I was going to piggyback. Well, first, I, we appreciate your research. And I, I'm really glad holistically um, in terms of representation that it is be, on people of color and I would say the one that probably receives the most oppression because of their skin color, um, mm -hmm. because that's a good perspective to know and to um, understand because mm -hmm. the discrimination struggle is this challenges are different amongst different um, ethnicities mm -hmm. um, or social, uh, racial ethnic, ethnic groups. I wanted to piggyback off of what you were saying about your um, when you said you didn't have a lot of perspective on other groups, but you would like to know. And ironically, in one of our, uh, the National NISLA newsletter. So it's a speech um, students, people who are students who are in speech pathology with their organization, like National Student Leadership. Um, they, um, there was an article about that and she identifies as Latina. Um, and she was talking about her um, struggle um, through um undergrad then she like failed tremendously then she went to community college and she tried and went back to um undergrad and then um through that is how she got into her master's program but even the navigation and a lot of um what you were saying you were talking about like the financial resources that was a barrier and then success guilt was another one like her dad had to move back to mexico um and then she had to work to help her mom. So she's Mexican. So, you know what I'm saying? So there's all there. They there, even though they are of different um, social eth like ethnic groups, like they still have similar experiences mm -hmm. in terms of how to do that. And just reading her story in terms of like progressing to grad school, that's mm -hmm. hard because 
few or far between, you start seeing people of color, um, especially in specialized programs such as like speech pathology, when yeah. the acceptance rate is very low. And so you yeah. have all of these. First, you challenge it in a sense of like, OK, I got to make it to graduation. But then it's like, dang, I want to go to grad school. So now I got to take the GRE. I got to get all these layers of recommendation. What if I don't didn't make real connections with faculty yeah. and staff that way to get some good support? Um, and yeah. so it's like the access to the access is not um, equitable across the board. You know what I'm saying? And so um, I just find that interesting and I appreciate your resources. And it's kind of like, I know we have to cross one bridge to get to the another, but it's like, we need this next bridge to be there too, because we need more diversifying our fields. Like, and I, and And OT and PT got the same issue. So you can't say, Oh, we need more minorities when you can't work with a bachelor's in neither one in, in right. neither three. Neither no. PT, you gotta have a doctorate. OT and, and speech, you gotta have a master's. Wow. So, I mean, and you can be an assistant, but you know. No, no you're you're absolutely right. And I, I'm glad that you shared that that um Lauren and Lauren. Lauren P, LP. I'm glad that you I'm glad that you shared that example because in one of my doctoral classes, um, I was taking a class before I actually entered the program just to kind of um test the waters and it applied to the program. But it was like the study of the US college student. And we were one of our assignments, the final assignment, we had to do a study on a particular group that we didn't identify with. Um mm. And 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 I decided to choose Latin Latinx folks, um, learning what some of their motivations, what drove them to want to be successful or go to college if they did go, et cetera, et cetera. And what I found in that was some of the students didn't. Let, for example, let's say I lived in California and I might have wanted to go to a school in New York. Well, going to the local co- um, community college made more sense in my case, in in that student's case. Um, mm-hmm. because it was it was less funds that I have to be worried about. I wouldn't be that mm-hmm. far from my family, and I, there's still an opportunity for me to attain some level of success. Well, mm-hmm. even with that, some of those students, um, if they lived on their own, they might have sacrificed a meal or two just to make sure they were able to do something in school. And, and I was like, wow, you know, as much as we want to sit around talking about differences between communities or um, demographics, there are a lot of similarities that we need to start actually mm-hmm. acknowledging. And I know it's tough because when it comes to some, you know, and, and I loved it because they're very family oriented. When I was reading that, of mm-hmm. course, we, these are some things we may want to assume, but actually learning about some of the lived experiences, I'm like, wow, like, I'd be like that, you know, <laughs> like, like we, we are to a degree. It, mm-hmm. Man, you know how right. people are. But we get <laughs> we, black folks. I will say that. Yes, yes. They want to say our struggle is different, but there are probably more similarities than yes. And 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 like you said to that gatekeeping thing, um, Mm -hmm. our problem sometimes, and I can speak because I'm black, we black, right? But our problem is we may know something, we may even see something, we may even have access to some information that our next person or next friend or is interested in doing, but we won't share because you know what? I need to one up you. I'm like, why? (laughs) Why are we like this? Right. Kevin Hart said that same thing. He did an interview and he was like, have you noticed when it comes to like, let's say black um, music groups, 
They yeah. always fall in the park. He was like, and and he brought up his um partnership with um The Rock, Dwayne. Okay. He was like, mm-hmm. yo, we can do so much together if we just pull each other up. I don't know how many movies they've done together, but they always support a lot. And they making bread individually and collectively. And he was like, yo, we could make so so much good things together Man. if we just come together and say, yo, I did this. Let me yeah. help you do that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Kind of like what um, Dr. Martin Luther King was trying to do down there. Put that money right back into the community. Things yeah. like that. Um, I know we're getting off, <laughs> getting off a little bit, but. I, I do think um, when you, I wonder you talked about the importance of having, I think it was you, Lolo, who talked about having um, more Black faculty staff, yeah. adjunct, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I do think that's important. I, I, where I think it starts is if we have folks in positions of influence while they're in, an, in their undergraduate experience or even high school, it's just important to have people who can say, or encourage or put that into somebody's spirit. Cause I literally did not, I had to navigate my way, right? Yeah. There were resources available, but sometimes, and I've talked about this too before, um, I can be a first year student, first generation student. There can be a whole multitude of actual resources, but if I'm not being taught how to actually network or do small talk, or even have confidence to to think that I can speak to somebody about these Mm -hmm. things, I could mm-hmm. that still could impede my success. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. That part. I want to go back to um uh the recommendations from your research. Um mm-hmm. we just had this conversation in class and and uh LP and I just had this conversation our last mm-hmm. episode. Um mm-hmm. some people in our, our field, well let me back up. In our field now, we have a requirement that everyone has to take a DEI course, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Two hours. Two hours Mm -hmm. every year. And so the issue that has been raised from minorities in our field is that, Mm -hmm. hey, our um, non-minority SLPs will just take something to just the check mark and back to, you know, your research and saying, you know, they need diversity training. Um, Hmm. A lot of these institutions just have these trainings to just say, hey, we trained our people. Yep. So I, I think another issue that we have to address and bring up is, mm-hmm. OK, let's do one on suicide. Let's do one on LGBTQ and, and DEI. Right. But what are we doing with this information, exactly. um, especially in higher ed? Yes. So yes. Mm-hmm. yes, what are we doing with it? What well, to, to that particular <laughs> point. And to be honest, I do think it is a, it's a checkbox. It's, you know, mm-hmm. for example, um, and I won't necessarily speak, misspeak on where I work. So I'll generalize um, <laughs> thinking about um, and, and uh, you know, at University of Cincinnati, even at other institutions, I'm aware that sometimes students um, within black communities are don't necessarily feel that they are being treated um, like their white counterparts. So with that being said, these trainings, right? are automated it's a it's a sometimes module program or module that you you have to complete once a year but for me if it were up to me we would have ongoing things so you have this training boom but it does not necessarily work with the application 
mm-hmm. of what you have learned. So don't tell me, oh, I, I'm a DEI or Jedi uh, specialist. When yeah. all you did was take <laughs> quick, <laughs> you took this quick um, training. Yeah. You may have missed a question to had to go back and get fix them and boom, you're yes. not a specialist. Let's be real. Right. Let's be right. let's be more sensitive to those different populations. And it's that's the piece. Folks, even if they look like you and they come from a different lived experience, let's at least take time to learn before yeah. we just assume or apply, right? So yeah. I still- yeah. So I I'm I'm gonna go a little spiritual real quick. I, I truly feel like God is ordering my steps because Um, So my PhD is in educational studies in diverse populations with Mm -hmm. a concentration in health disparities. So right now I'm taking my health disparities class and Mm -hmm. he's making us write a health disparity lesson plan. So we have to pick a condition. And to your point, Mm -hmm. we have to discuss and lay out, Okay, who's our target audience? What are we going to teach them? And he's like, listen, y'all. Yes, this, this is an assignment. But I want you to really think about this and put on paper, like, how do you want to see the change? Because mm-hmm. also, too, the way this concentration is set up, I am also in line to get a certification to be a health coach. Ooh. And so um, when I realized that the advisor for my concentration is also over community health, I was like, OK, Jesus, what we doing? Community health, disability. I see what you're doing. But mm-hmm. I just see how it's all intertwined because um, an LP can understand what what I mean with this. Like, OK, we've, we've done worked in private practice. We've worked in schools, yeah. but the community, it, yeah. I am learning <laughs> back to your point, what you said mm-hmm. earlier. We have to look at the wellness of the kid, mm-hmm. not only their health, where they live, you know, what they have access to, all of that. Like, you can't look at the whole child without looking at the whole community. Right. So You you can't even look at them at the surface level. because, And you just reminded me, I'm thinking about students who, in addition to taking care of siblings, they may have missed a meal. They're at school. They're hungry. They can't even be their full selves or even look at something on the board or stay focused Mm -hmm. if they're starving. Mm -hmm. So just taking ways of thinking about how do we change our approach when it comes to development, support, acts, Mm -hmm. you know, how can we literally shift? And I did a Mm -hmm. presentation for my fraternity um, before about um, training the, I think it was called training our new age leaders. So Mm -hmm. I actually took a lot of what I, what I've kind of talked about with y'all and shifted it to how are we going to start teaching and training our undergraduates or even our um, co-constituents mm-hmm. and things of that nature? Because mm-hmm. the way that we used to do it is not going to work anymore, brothers, you know, or people. Let's be mindful mm-hmm. that we live in a new age where they literally look at these phones, they stay on them. And then when it's time to yeah. deal with, with, with addressing conflict or anything mm-hmm. like that, we can't. We can't sit around getting upset if we know it first. We know that they they struggle. They don't have the yeah. thing we did. They don't have the practice. They don't have the practice. They don't have the encyclopedias. They don't have nothing that we <laughs> had to do. Like, <laughs> right. But right. Just thinking about how can we literally meet them where they are without judging them and then ho- helping them to take ownership in their lived experience. Mm-hmm. That's what I think yeah. is key. And that's what's helped me be successful in my current role working with um african-american students just generally you know before i had to do and and all students are still my students but i've even been opened up to different lenses in my 
practice or even um, being a practitioner in higher education student affairs. What used to work for me out the door or maybe yeah. what we used to do, add a twist to it and then mm-hmm. include the students. Like what's mm-hmm. some, what's some things we can start doing where well, they love line dance. And mm-hmm. so I do, too. So, boom, we meet there, you know, but right. different stuff like let's let's mm-hmm. shift how we used to think. Yeah. Um, kind of kind of uh, accommodate um, the students where they are now. Yeah, I, I, I want, think. Oh. I was just going <laughs> to, I just have a quick comment that I think that this generation behind us, we're definitely going to have to do more mentorship and guidance. Mm-hmm. Like I see it in our field when I'm talking to students um, to, <laughs> to navigate our field. Like recently is the, I got connected to this black guy in California mm-hmm. and he's like, now, mind you, he said this a couple, like a month or two ago. I'm about to apply to graduate school. Now, y'all know what time it is, right? It's like February. And he's like, I'm only going to apply to two schools. And I said, sir, you need to go find about three, four more. Um, because in our field, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very competitive. Most schools yeah. only mm-hmm. take about 20 people and they at minimum get yeah. about 200 applications. Yeah. So you're yeah. just trying to stay and back to LP's point, with the article she read, if you're just trying to stay in, in your state, uh, you better put it, give it to the Lord. Because <laughs> it's going to be yeah. real. I'm, I'm going to say it. It's going to be real hard. That's so real, though. It is. It it's is. going to be real hard. We, it's be real we, hard. I had a student. I have a student who's graduating this this May. <laughs> um, and I talked to him about two weeks ago. And LP knows what I'm talking about. But I haven't shared <laughs> names with her. Because she knows some of my students. But this particular <laughs> student, um, he is first generation. He happens to be part of a Greek, uh, Black Greek letter organization, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I asked him, what's next? Well, I don't know. I'm just trying to figure out. But I know I don't want to be here. And I don't want to be home, which he's from like Chicago or something. And I was like, okay, cool. What oh. schools have you applied to? Well, I haven't applied to any yet. Oh, Jesus. Today is February. It, we ain't even out of Black History Month. What you doing? So yeah. I literally told him that day, I said, I have an assignment, for a homework assignment. By next Wednesday, I want you to have applied to two or three schools. And then the next week, mm-hmm. I said, now let's be clear, you might have missed the, 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 the time frame where mm-hmm. the GA positions might have been all taken up, interviewed mm-hmm. for, all that. So, But if you're trying to do something, if you don't want to go back home and you don't want to go here, you need to be doing something now. And 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 I don't want to generalize all of them, but I have a lot of these students that are about to become seniors or are seniors that are like, oh my gosh, the leaders last year, they were on it. We're struggling. I can't do it. I anxiety, anxiety. Somebody help me. And I'm like, all it takes is some preparation and some support, literally. Yeah. yeah. But some of them are walking around suffering in silence. And that's the unfortunate piece too. Yeah, I, I want to piggyback on what you all were saying about um, thinking outside the box and the new training modules. And I know for a fact that um, even in academia, we have we haven't pushed out all the old people yet that don't think outside of the box. Mm-hmm. Um, and so oh, I was in my mentor's class. She asked me to come speak about language diversity. Um, and one of the students and this is an undergrad senior class. Um, she said, well, how do we we were talking about acknowledging the fact of dialect differences in terms of language differences, training. Like, how do we 
get them to understand that a name um, named language aren't always the ones that's valued. You know, dialect differences are too. And I was telling her, well, it's just, it's it's a system thing, right? Like, yes, mm-hmm. we are the choir that we keep talking to, and we're teaching you about language ideology and all the power struggles. But we're just one discipline, and you're also one program, and you're also one group of students. When yeah. you also have education as well, right? And so yeah. when you're looking at education. Um, there is this, what they're getting trained on is not the same as what we're getting trained on. And you may not have the same professors who look at those types of things. And so breaking down those barriers and the educators in the education department are the ones training our students to help navigate them. And so it's like, you have all of these different blocks and that you have to go through. And it's funny because we talk about research, right? Like a lot. And y'all know, I have a passion for like, come on, we need to get this research thing together and recruiting more representation amongst um, different groups. Mm -hmm. Um, And so come to find out one of our students is actually doing research with some people at at my institution and they're going in the inner city schools, Mm -hmm. but they're doing a research viewpoint on the value of having an SLP in the classroom and working with the teacher. Mm. But but what are you looking at? Because Mm. you're with the black kids. I said, what is the population of the yeah. students? She said it's majority black. And it's, I think it's like later elementary or middle school, like it's like yeah. older and they're writing and doing all these elements. And it's just kind of like, well, this is the problem right here. This is where we kind of stop. Like we're mm-hmm. you're with a stu- a PhD student and a mentor. Yeah. This mm-hmm. is where that research like can can really start to make a change or a shift. But again, everybody is not on the same page or the same wavelength. So it's our job, I feel like, in terms of like as future doctors and what we do to utilize the skills and knowledge that we have. And we really are going to have to stay, get out of our discipline. And I think that is the problem. I think it it just becomes a thing of, again, we ain't talking to the congregation. They don't have no reason it and these are the people the congregation are the access code to get into these programs to navigate to give you the resources they're the ones mm-hmm. holding the positions 20 and 30 years in it and fill away when you want to say okay well now it is no longer 1995 right um things have changed a little bit yeah and we need to like think about the things that is going on in 23 now 22 23 and we're gonna have to revamp and then they take things personally And so it's kind of like you, it's like, it's like an ongoing pushback battle, right? Like you're like, I'm trying to help you elevate, but it's a problem when I bring the ideas to you or confront to say, this is not working. Like it's not. And then you were like, well, show me the data. Well, who are y'all getting the numbers from? Like, who are y'all talking to? But can I poke a hole in that real quick? Yeah. Because I did a CU on that. That whole co-teaching with the SLP. The only setting I've seen that in is a charter school, but yet they're doing that research in a black school. You know, I have a problem with these research projects not being able to go into practice. (laughs) Come on now, like, because majority of black schools have a high caseload and the SLP is not going to be able to be a cold teacher. Yes. So what I I, I understand. Don't let me I understand it's not my research. This has nothing to do with me. And I was told by my mentor to simmer down because I was like, well, this is a problem. We need to like, what's you the research You can't put question? that into practice. Whatever they come up with, you can't put that into practice with that demographic. 
<laughs> and then and then when you challenge it, they question you. Yeah. I'm like, now are we tapping into egos, pride? Like, let's let's start thinking about this. Is it does it make sense and does it apply in different settings? Right. Right. <laughs> right. I don't I don't know. And they're actually working on writing. Oh no, it's elementary because it was a first grader. Okay. So and the first grader wrote in dialect and the student is confused on how to approach whether it should be addressed or how it should be addressed in terms of like the access code. Because I mean, explaining language ideology to a first grader is it's it's a nuance, right? Like it's like here's the thing, though. I challenge the student to look up writing development. I took a CU on that, and when it comes to spelling, that doesn't like Mm-mm, it's get grammar. better. Oh, it's grammar. Oh, what's, it's, what's it's, the EU? Oh, sorry. Continuing education uh, <laughs> uh, workshop. Um, oh. There was this lady who um, talked about writing development. And so she was saying spelling. I, I'm going to maybe say she said grammar, but I know specifically she was talking about spelling. Yeah. It doesn't get better until like fourth grade. So, yes, I know it might be a grammar issue, but you, you just got to look at. Mm-hmm the development of writing to see okay yes it might be dialect but it also might be developmental well but the thing so and yeah and I say all that to say like kind of going back to what you and Greg were talking about in terms of like training we're training young people how like about what's happening systemically but when you're under a power structure or influence how do you advocate for what you're already being taught about in a class when everybody is not on the same wavelength like they took the diversity training class or they may help you know have a black student here and a a latin Latin a student here but they're not they're not making like you were saying applicable that ongoing thing to say like oh i see what you're saying yeah this is something maybe i need to go back to the drawing board and revamp but when you've been in a system for 20 and 30 plus years Mm -hmm. how do you go back to say hey yo y'all uh what it is like what we what are we doing you know what I'm saying like how are we making it better and so that that is that was the point I was making so you have like certain segments of people that are on the same the change wavelength to give the access code to to look at like things like the McNair program um that made your upper banner things to help students but it's still like everybody is not doing that and even though we say black people be gatekeeping white people be gatekeeping too like you know what i'm saying they don't want you to have what they have how do they get it oh it's because of that you know what i'm saying like so yeah. or you're a threat to whatever yeah. power they yeah. have yeah wow. yeah absolutely man I this think, has been the, oh go ahead i know I, just <laughs> say, I think that um like so what i do and it's not so much and, and i always make it clear that i'm not trying to be a radical or, re- or a rebel but I do um, remind students that I work with that they have more power than they realize. Um, but unfortunately, they're in spaces where a staff member or even faculty member will make a statement that makes them believe that they don't. Mm-hmm. Oh, you can't do that. And I'll say, you know, did they show you that policy or where it's located? Mm-hmm. Oh, they can't or they didn't produce it. It doesn't exist. Or if it does exist, you as a student have the ability to challenge it. Um, especially if it doesn't feel fair, if it doesn't feel consistent, not mm-hmm. equitable, or if it takes away something. Because I'm always about, all right, this, the, the institution says they're going to do this. Well, if this policy doesn't align with what the institution says, 
you have a case. And it's yeah. not just, and it's not that I'm, I'm not, and I, I get it. For some, it's like, why are you teaching the students this? Oh, you're trying to, you're trying to get them disrespectful. No, I'm not. I'm actually teaching them the truth. When I was a student, mentors, staff empowered me to, to one, they challenged read, read that stuff. Right. Read they the challenged me to read. And then after I read, if there's some, some inconsistencies or something that's not fair, let's talk about it. Let's email it. Don't talk. Let me tell you. Yeah, you talk. Let me tell oh, yeah, you yeah, yeah, what yeah. I learned. Let me, let me give you some tea. Paper tray. Let me yeah. give you some tea, okay? <laughs> what you need to do. And, and <laughs> that's one thing I learned being in a predominantly white field. I'm just going to keep it a buck. Like when stuff gets a little, little testy, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. take that thing in the email and you CC people. You do not email one person. Man, you you see mm. everybody, and to your point, um, I want to say systemically they think that we don't read, but mm-hmm. I mean, if we we don't, <laughs> so yeah. the thing about it is that you have to challenge mm-hmm. um them and and quote like you know just like in mm-hmm. research you quote people well in the student handbook mm-hmm. on such and such page mm-hmm. such and such section it says mm-hmm. i have a right to appeal and i mm-hmm. have you know all, all these different rights because they don't expect you to do that mm-hmm. but let me right. tell you other people other populations do it all the time so they do. let's have a conversation but baby get that email and cc multiple people because that's <laughs> what gets the attention. I'm just saying. That's yeah, it does. And to, and, and to your point, um, Greg, like I think it's really important that you are teaching that skill because again, when, when you're working with specific populations such as first generation and understanding like knowing your rights and things like that, it's also mm-hmm. preparing them for the real world, like salary yes. negotiations, mm-hmm. um, things mm-hmm. in their job, like being able to be promoted, you know, understanding I guess the rules in whatever area that they're mm-hmm. going into, um, you're teaching them how to self-advocate. Well, according to this policy, it never specifically states that I can't wear my hair curly. You know what I'm saying? Like different yep. things like that. So they 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 come in there being able to stand 10 toes down and defend themselves. The yep. problem is, is that you have other people outside of academia in more corporate America when you start getting to those areas that mm-hmm are for one intimidated by you especially if you come in with a vast amount of knowledge and support and then for three they try to find a way to shame you like to make you feel less than so then it's like you're building um a fear like this false fear to not stand up for yourself or to defend it because it's like a threat of because they're using their power struggle or that power dynamic you know so i i think people are so close-minded to saying like, oh, well, you're teaching them to rah-rah against the school. But it, it's not about that. It's a bigger point. You're teaching them to advocate so they can have equitable and yeah. e- e- equal and equitable things when they go forward in their career. And you're just limiting it to a box of where they're about to graduate. They're not even here for the long term. Yeah. They're here yeah. for a short time, not a long time that yeah. we hope. So it's like, I don't know. That's frustrating. But um, <laughs> I was asked yeah. a question yet um, recently mm-hmm. um, because I talked about how I would like like when, how I met Lauren Prather um, was through an organization called Black Graduate Professional Black Graduate Professional Student Association. 
And I said, um, that would be a great idea to start at the institution I'm currently at. And so what I'm doing is, from what I understand, is going through the proper chains and connecting with the graduate school and making sure I'm covering my bases. And when I brought it up in a particular meeting within my department, um, I, I shared what, what my plan was. And I, instead of fully listening to what I was saying, I was interrupted and I was asked, do we have a general uh, graduate student association? I said, I don't know, but I wanted to say I'm responsible for African-American students. Right. So I'm trying to provide a sense of belonging. When And I told them the example. I just met a, 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 black, a young black lady who's graduating with her master's. She went to the graduate fair at the bookstore and they, she asked them because they try to sell a kente stole to her. In my office, we have a special program where we give you one. And she said, is there like a black graduate um, black graduation or celebration? Mm-hmm. And they told her, no. Now, mind you, I participated in what we have called Sheree Hay dang near <laughs> some years ago. And it's been going on for mm-hmm. over 20 years. So wow. I, to my um, to my disappointment, that was shared. And I don't know if it's because they wanted to get that sale on that Kente stove, but she said she didn't buy it. And she and, and then literally after she left, she came to my office when she heard about our office. So mm-hmm. I think it's like you like I talked about earlier, getting in these positions so that you can have some kind of influence so that you can mm-hmm. have access so that we can advocate. It becomes draining. It, it really does, because when you feel like you're the only you, um, mm-hmm. but just know and my, my encouragement to anybody out there listening is to just know your efforts aren't wasted. Please yeah. know. Mm-hmm. Um, we can't mm-hmm. save the entire world. We can't save everybody, but yeah. the little mm-hmm. that we can do, especially within our circle of influence, yeah. let's mm-hmm. let's just take the risk and and, and do what mm-hmm. you can do. Yeah, and I believe too, like if you're if you're listening to and you're a first gen student or you feel like you don't know how to find someone to mentor you, um, yeah. mm-hmm. all it takes is this a hello and can we talk type moment yeah. and somebody will be there to open your door like I or open the door for you to um, help you navigate. Um, so, and I know that's intimidating. You don't know how people are going to react. And mm-hmm. we have this philo- not philosophy, but it's like, we know that all skin folk, and you can folk, but somebody out there who may not be, who may not be black and that's okay. Or, or, that. or someone who you identify yeah. with. It could be, you know, the opposite of, but I appreciate my mentors who are non-Black as well, because um, they they hit me the things about their culture and that I don't know about, because I asked, just like they asked me, I asked them, so get me to this culture, because I... When did you get your, um, well, I'm curious, because, and I'll tell you what a mentor told me years ago, but um, when did you establish those mentors that don't necessarily look like you? In this program. Oh, in your program. That's, in my doctoral program. That's amazing. And I, I say that because um, I had a, a a previous mentor tell me, or a supervisor at the time, tell me, get you different, get you a set of different mentors. And I was like, isn't that doing too much? And he was like, no, get you a mentor that looks like you, somebody who can check you, uh, get, set you straight and you be receptive to that. Get mm-hmm. you some, a mentor that's in your field. And get you a mentor that doesn't look like you. One, because they may have mm-hmm. knowledge or access to information that you could benefit from and mutually. But um, there's just different benefits for of having different mentors. Now, he didn't mm-hmm. say go get 30. <laughs> That's yeah. too much. I ain't got time. Right. Yeah. I think I, I thought that was very insight, insightful for me to think like, wow, I do need to um, kind of. And I think it allows us to uh, elevate 
too, versus mm-hmm. just being in that one lane or having that laser focus of just being with our people. So I think that was a yeah. good you should get with LP um, because she has a mentoring map that uh, Dr. <laughs> J.A. made. And it it has just that, like these mm-hmm. different, um, pockets of people for different aspects of your life. So, okay. it's, huh. yeah, it's, it's actually, I probably it, need to revisit. Yeah. I need to redo and, it. Yeah. And even like our peers, like I feel like for certain things, Lauren is holds me accountable for stuff or Lola like holds me accountable for stuff. And, you know, even you like in a different, you know, like mm-hmm. you're in a different box. <laughs> you need to get out that Zoom. Maybe be plenty of time. I'm about to expose you. There be times I've been on the phone with LP and here come Greg in the back. Who are you talking to? <laughs> Please. You need to get off that phone. That's Lauren. Tell her bye. <laughs> right. Yeah. That, is, that is him. That uh, like me. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, just I wouldn't just say have them in different spaces. Um, yeah. It's really important to have that. And mm-hmm. you'll build organic relationships. Like, I mean, it may not happen overnight, but it will ha- gradually happen. And you're going to. It's not gonna always be peaches and cream, trust me. Because even with my non-black mentors, yeah, right. we had moments, you know, right. and it, it right. wasn't bad, but it was a matter of understanding too. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. this is how they were feeling; their feelings are valid. This is how I was feeling; my feelings are valid. We just solved the problem of what that barrier was. You know what I'm saying? And so, a lot of times, it's really for your best interest, and then you just, yeah, yeah you just kind of receive it the way that it happens but really talk through those things and even with your peers like mm-hmm. I mean I love both of these two but she some days I'd be, <laughs> be like uh what y'all want and what y'all doing like you know so it's like a it's the counterbalance of um accountability but we it's all out of love mm. well this was a great conversation I feel like we hit all kinds of things <laughs> hey when, yeah. when do I need a when do I need a schedule again she <laughs> We'll do a part two. We'll do a little part two. Okay. (laughs) But we always allow our guests to give our speech tea of the day, which is basically a (laughs) takeaway or a synopsis of our conversation. So you have the floor to give our speech tea of the day. It can be like a one-liner or a little like whatever, however you want. Mm. Yeah. Creative freedom. Wow. See, I wasn't prepared for this part. Oh no, the, people, our guests are never prepared. Ne- never prepared. Oh, okay, good. Our, I was like our element of surprise. <laughs> and I'm prepared because LP always put it on me to give the speech to you. <laughs> first, first of all, no, 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 let's explain. We know our strengths, okay? As in the words of my friend Jasmine, know your strengths, and I know that was not mine. I think. So uh, I think what I'll say is. Um, regarding today's topic or just life in general um be mindful that it doesn't matter what it looks like or what the person looks like at the surface there's more to their story than what's presented so whatever you can do to offer um or even play a significant role in their life whether it's for a reason season or lifetime just know that you can make a difference and i think that's important Y'all crazy. Okay. Taking us back to the church. I'm just saying. I mean, it's it's so. Do we need some gospel music? 
Listen, I want to add to that. They, they you did with an iceberg. No, I'm just want to say you did with an iceberg. Like it's not what you see. It's it's, it's other not. Stuff, you know, mm-hmm. it's not. And literally, what you could what you say to them or how you interact with them could make or break them. You know, there's people who are struggling with things or people who are overjoyed, but either way, just be mindful of how you treat them. Yeah, you can use mm-hmm. that for a presentation. Get your little iceberg and put all them little words. Black. Black. <laughs> right. And at the bottom, trauma, you know. Right, <laughs> right, right. Success Say something to me now. Try me today if you want. You know? <laughs> right. Get the right one. <laughs> Well, until next time, LP. Bye, Lolo.